I am glad of the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus, for that which was lacking on your part they have supplied, for they have refreshed my spirit and yours, therefore acknowledge them that are such. That's 1 Corinthians 16, 17, and 18. Nice. Welcome, everybody, back to another episode of Thinking Well Podcast. I'm Kyle. And I'm Tom. What's up, Tom? Not much, Kyle. We just got done moving, so that feels pretty good. How's your week? Good. I traveled for about the fourth week in a row. Nice. Um, Happy to be done with that for now. It's kind of a a double-edged sword because travel usually means work getting done and deals are getting done, which is good for me, but I'm also in airports a lot and away from my family, so double-edged sword. But something I was going to say is I feel like Everybody I know always moves in the summer. This is actually the first time we've moved in the summer. We usually move in like the fall. So much better. It, it's well, not in Texas. No, it feels about the same as summer. True. Well, it's not real fall. Yeah. 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 Those two weeks of fall that we get in, right. in yeah, Texas. Texas has three seasons. Summer lasts for about eight months. <laughs> Facts. Facts. But uh, yeah, I actually have a. An interesting story to tell, and then I guess we'll, we'll jump into our topic okay. uh, for today. Um, it'll be another installment on the missions right. uh, category, but no, as, as I mentioned, we had a, uh, a flight planned. We were going to Waterloo, New York, Finger Lakes, you know, upstate New York, Waterloo, and uh, actually really pretty up there, really green, um, very different than Dallas, not as hot. It wasn't 120. It was about a cool 75. Oh, nice. Pretty nice. Lucky. But uh, on my way back, we had a connection flight through Charlotte and uh, had a little bit of a layover. So we're, you know, kind of sitting there waiting for our plane to board. And um, there's this gentleman um, who's kind of talking to this stewardess and uh, asking her a lot of questions. And I didn't really think much of it. Um, he was kind of on the other side of the terminal, but I, I definitely noticed him. Fast forward. I'm getting on my plane. I'm I'm seat C, so the aisle, and uh, I boarded before the other two individuals. So I'm like, great, I'm gonna have to get up twice, right? Um, so uh, window seat gets, you know, she sits down. Um, her name is D, and um, the gentleman that I recognize from earlier in the terminal walks up and you know sits down next to me, and uh, immediately he starts. Uh, you know, talking to me and kind of sharing what's happening in his life. And, you know, he tells me that uh, he's on the spectrum um, okay. and, uh, you know, he has ADHD and, um, you know, talking to me about that. And he really kind of immediately brings up that he's on his way to Virginia to stay with his family for a while. And unfortunately, um, him and his wife were just very recently, I think that day, separated. Okay. So he's, you know, I don't know exactly what happened, but removing himself from the situation for a little while, staying with some family. Huh. So in my discussions with him and, you know, understand he's first time ever on a commercial plane, very nervous about it all, um, you know, about the, the plane taking off. He was, he was like, I don't like roller coasters, so I don't know how I'm going to do with, you know, going up and going down. I was like, Hey, don't worry about it. Like you'll be, you'll be fine. So, uh, me and D, the other lady on the other side of him, um, kind of help him through that. And she's a, a nicer, older lady, probably in her 60s. And, uh, you know, we're just kind of talking to him about what's happening in his life and planes in general. You know, we're, we're just talking to him. And um, we kind of we get on the topic of what's going on in his life with him and his, uh, him and his wife. And he kind of, he just starts spilling it. He's like, hey, you know, we uh, were given homeless status by the, the state of New York and they... Um, provided a hotel for us to stay at for a while. And, you know, apparently his wife didn't want to do that. So she, there was this huge fight and they ended up separating like that day Mm. because of it. And I was like, whoa, okay. And uh, he he looks at, looks at me and he's like, hey, you know, um, you know, I'm a, I'm a, he said, I'm a, I'm a ordained minister. I was like, oh, interesting. Okay. Like, tell, tell me more about that. Like, you know, like what's, you know, like, did you go to seminary? Like, you know, like, what do you do? Like, what do you believe? So we, you know, we got into it, got into the weeds, right? We started talking about 
doctrine and what we believe and what's going on in his life and what led him to here and what he does. And, um, you know, come to find out he, he believes in God, but he doesn't, he didn't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Okay. So he, he, he I would say was not saved at that point. He, he mm-hmm. didn't understand that concept of salvation. So, um, you know, in talks with what's going on with his life and everything surrounding that, he, he said, Hey, well, you know, when, and after me sharing, like, you know, what we do here and, and what I believe, yeah, I, uh, you know, he was like, Hey, you know, when you get where you're going, will you, will you pray for me and my family? And I was like, dude, I'll pray for you right now. Like we're on an airplane. Awesome. Like, like, what, what are we going right. to do? Like, you know, I don't care. I don't care. Like other people around me are, yeah. you know, annoyed or whatever. Like, you know, I have a, I have a captive audience. Let's go. Yeah. So, um, I told him, I was like, I'll pray with you right now, dude. So we, you know, sat down right there and we prayed and I, um, you know, told the Lord that, Hey, we don't, you know, as humans, as, as who we are, we don't really understand why things happen. But I told him that the Lord is greater than this world, that, whatever's happening in his life, if he trusts him and stays close to him and really, you know, clings to the word and what we're doing there, pray, um, that the Lord said he'll never leave or forsake you. Offered as, you know, as as much peace and hope to him as I could um, in that troubled time. And, you know, he thanked me for that. And by then, by then I kind of got the sense that he didn't quite understand what I was referring to with salvation mm-hmm. and the whole gospel message. Um, so I kind of dove into that. I'm like, why not? Right. We had yeah. 30 minutes left in the flight and so I kind of asked him some questions about that. And, um, you know, you know, took him through Romans a little bit and, you know, about the sin condition that we have. Yeah. And that's kind of, I think that's where kind of where you have to start. You oh, know, for sure. The understanding that you can't make it on your own. Got to uh, make sure you're, they're a sinner. They've got to know that they're a sinner before they can get saved. So yeah, yeah, absolutely yeah. right. Yeah, the the first step in solving a problem is realizing and acknowledging that you have a problem. Yep. So um, after that, you know, we walked through the solution to the problem, right? That God sent His Son to die for His sin specifically, and that you know you're, you don't you don't have to re- you know you don't have to there's no requirement of good works. You don't have to yeah. worry about you being good enough to get to heaven. Um, there's no scale somewhere. Right. Right. Yeah. And I told him, you know, I, you know, I, I prayed with them and, um, you know, I, I think that he trusted the Lord as a savior on, Amen. on, on that plane ride. That's awesome, man. And I, you know, got his number. And, um, after that, I, you know, made sure he got to his gate and, you know, bought him dinner and sat and talked to him for a little bit, but made a, made a new friend on, uh, on the flight from Rochester to, Charlotte. That's cool, man. Well, and especially like, I mean, how, how tragic that that thing with him and his wife happened, but had that not have happened, he wouldn't have been there that day. Oh, for sure. And you know, so how the crazier, Lord uses that like situation. Even crazier, um, Tom, is about 15 minutes before we boarded, uh, you know, the hostess, uh, the stewardess comes, you know, up on the, on the intercom and is like, Hey, if you, um, are able body and are willing, uh, we need, uh, you know, two or three people to sit in the exit rows. Um, so come see me up here if you're interested. And I was like, okay, well, you know, that's about 10 more seats forward on the plane than yeah. I was. So I was like, this will work out perfect. I'll get out sooner and, you know, whatever. I don't mind sitting in the exit row. Mm-hmm. And uh, I started to, you know, get my bags off the ground and get them on and walk over there. And, you know, I look up and there's like 20 guys over there. So I'm like, I'm like I won't. Yeah. I'm not going to worry about it this time. Um, but, you know, just how, you know, my you know, the Lord turns every turn that around, and yeah. yeah, it's just crazy to think about afterwards. But uh, that's how my week went, Tom. That's super cool, man. And I mean, how fortuitous that we're talking about like missions, and here you are being like a plain missionary. I just love the catted audience; it's so fun to me. Yeah, it's like, what are you gonna do? Land the plane? Come well, and we were talking <laughs> about this a little bit before, but I got to be honest with you, man. Like I feel a little convicted right now because when usually when I get on a plane, I plug in my AirPods and I'm the guy who like doesn't want to talk to anybody and I'm just there to fly, like leave me alone. 
And I feel a little convicted right now, man. Like I gotta. It's it's, I, it's I need hard. To, I need to like engage with people when I'm on a plane. And I mean, how who knows how many opportunities like any of us who kind of fly that way have have passed up by just kind of plugging in and staying staying to ourselves. But you're right; it's a captive audience. Like, what, where are they going to go to get away from the gospel you're trying to share with them? Right. No, you can go to the bathroom, but that's going to be like five minutes and somebody's going to want in. Yeah. I mean, you can only stay in there for about like half an hour yeah. before the, you know, they try to drag you out or, right. you know, something's, they're going to land the plane, you know, yeah. it's a little, that's super cool, man. Suspicious. Mm. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, and I'll say, you know, I, I fly a lot for work and it's, it's super easy to get on there. And I mean, before you even take off, right, get, you know, get the movie started you want to watch mm-hmm. and just kind of tune out other people. But, um, Definitely something to work towards. I mean, even for me, like, you know, I, like I said, hopefully I can fly more and that's, you know, productive and whatever. Yeah. Um, so maybe I'll have more opportunity, but, you mm. know, it's, um, it's definitely hard. Well, I guess we'll, uh, here's a, I guess we'll jump. Here's a segue. Yeah. I guess we'll jump into <laughs> uh, the missions thing. Let's do it. Um, I, I think the way that I, I think the way that I would kind of like to start off is kind of putting our listeners in the mindset of uh, just from conversations with a lot of missionaries and a lot of missionary wives, uh, some takeaways that I have and kind of going back to what we started this with was the, was the missionary kid 18, the MK 18 dilemma. And in that vein, I think the the best way I can the best way we could kind of capture people and bring them in with us is would be to just kind of read a, an excerpt here from something that I have in front of me. Um, it and here it is. So imagine you've been tasked with a job that requires you to uproot your whole family and move to a foreign country. Here you have no relatives. You really don't even know when you may see your actual relatives again. You've got no friends in that country. You don't have the face-to-face support and counsel of your home pastor. You don't have the face-to-face guidance of your own parents. Your family, while they're willing to go with you because they understand that that's their duty, um, they may blame you for some way in taking them away from their extended family, their mother and father, Uh, Your wife, perhaps, might somewhat blame you for taking her away from her parents and her siblings. Um, Close friends at church that she's not going to be close to. Uh, Your kids from their friends, their cousins, their uncles, all their church family. Now, don't get me wrong, they're not going to harbor any bitterness towards you. But at the same time, um, well, at least your wife won't. Your kids may. Um, your wife and your kids understand that this is, in fact, this job is going to be the Lord's work. And she will submit to her calling as a Christian woman to be your wife and support you. But, and I, I'm speaking a little bit from some personal experience here. I can guarantee you that your kids will blame you in some way for taking them to a foreign land. This is what missionaries do. This is the thing that they go through. And it's, it's a volunteer thing. It's something that they've been called to do. But even when they get there, um, there's, in addition to all of the family stress that's being caused by kind of uprooting your family and following where God wants you to go, well, now you've got to figure out, well, what area of this town that I've moved to do I start to work in and do, and how do I do that? You've got to pray about it. You've got to, do you canvas? Well, canvassing with tracks and invitations doesn't work in every single country the same way. Yet we see that here in the States, like even from a church perspective, some churches are really successful at like going out door to door on Thursday nights and knocking on doors and they get success from that. Well, I think the the times kind of changed too, right? I mean, even 20, 30 years ago, I think you'd probably have a higher success rate with canvassing, mm-hmm. um, just national, or like, I mean, worldwide, globally, right. than you yeah. have now. 
So, I mean, do you do that? Do you stand on a street corner and pass out tracks? Do you stand on a street corner and get up on a crate and with a with a speaker and a microphone and, and, and street preach? Like, what, what are the people of that area going to respond to, and how do you best get the word out? And it's more than just going out and inviting people to a church building because a lot of times you don't have a church building to start off with. Right. I mean, it's very difficult to justify from a missionary perspective, I need a church building. Well, okay, how many converts do you have? I don't have any but we need to get a church building. So you're going to use support from churches to get a church building that you don't have anybody to go there with? Like, what's the expense for? Because as missionaries, like, their expenses are publicized. Like, people yeah. know what the... Ever, all heavily, the churches that support them tracked. know what they make. Yep. And yep. Their, their home church knows what the funds are being utilized for and right. all these things. Um do you do you target the older generation in the area that you've gone into or do you target the younger generation in and hope that the younger generation brings the older generation in and there's all these things that they have to deal with as missionaries um how do you go about doing those things right and to top it off you're alone it's just you you can reach out for help and support but it's just you. Um, here you are, like we've talked about, kind of recruiting your kids to go help you like pass out tracks if they're old enough. But we're sending missionaries to the field that in their mid to late 20s, sometimes in their early 20s. Like Super they don't, young they kids. Don't, they don't have kids. They're kids themselves, really. Yeah. They don't have kids that can help them to go do that stuff. I mean, their kids yeah. will grow up, you know, helping them do that, I'm sure. But they don't have even a, a co-laborer to go do those things with. I mean, the, the wife can't go. Who's watching the kids while, right. the, while the husband's out doing those things? And it's not all doom and gloom, and I'm not trying to say that there aren't, there aren't blessings in it, but these are, these are just a few of the things that uh, a missionary wants to do like as a missionary you just want to get the word out right like that's what you're there for and you're you're very zealous about it um we from missionaries that i've talked to and missionaries we've had in the church like they can't wait to get over there and they're excited about what goes on but man speaking of how young some of these missionaries are they've never really pastored a church before and now they're on a foreign field starting a church from scratch and it's difficult at, at an established church to pastor a flock, much less be out there trying to establish a flock and then learning as you go how to take care of the flock and at the same time trying to grow it and get the gospel out. Yeah, well, with language barriers, cultural barriers. Yes. Um, and like you said, not... You know, especially at first, and hopefully while they're there in, in country longer, that they're, you know, they grow a church and there's some kind of support system for what's happening. But a lot of a lot of times, in a lot of cases, that just isn't the way it goes down, right? So you have, you know, language barriers, you have cultural differences, and you are completely alone, especially in the scenario where you have a young family who sacrifices everything to go across an ocean to spread the gospel, you know, the wife is having to watch the young kids, which means it's by necessity, you know, the obligation is the man goes out and he, that's all he does. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, to, to, that's his job. That's the work right. that he's been put there to do. And I mean, I think that's kind of the, the word, right. Sacrifice. Absolutely. And I, I don't think as churches that we, recognize it enough Wh which one of us would be willing to just pull up everything and thousands of tens of thousands of miles away and be willing to say okay lord i'm here and the, i mean these missionaries are giving it all up uh, well i'll say this tom um i'll preface it with this i, I think that at this point in my life 
that missionary work is not what God has called me to do. I, I feel confident in saying that, but not being as close I am in my walk with the Lord, you know, five, ten years ago, I, I, I would be scared of those messages that I would hear. I, I would be frightened by the idea of the Holy Spirit convicting me as a Christian man mm-hmm. to go to like Vietnam or some, you know, just place that is on the other side of the world across an ocean. Um, that used to terrify me as someone who was in church their whole life. And I've always been to churches that always took time to go through missions in some capacity. At some yeah. point in the year, it was touched on. And um, yeah, I mean, the possibility, right, that, oh, the Holy Spirit might grab my heart and we, you know, here we go. We're going to Germany. We're going to Russia. Here we go. Yeah. And that used to terrify me to the point where I would like suppress that. And I was like, nope, nope. That's not me. I, I won't even open. I'm not even going to think about it. Um, and, and it took a while to, like, you know, part of that making the gospel my own was also that sacrifice in a way of, hey, like, if this is what, like, whatever, like, really getting real and saying, hey, like, what, God, what is, where, why have you put me here on this earth? Right? I'm saved now. That's number, step number one, right? Salvation, but, like, what now? Yeah. And, yeah, I, I, I can... I can say I don't, I don't think that's where where he's called me, but you know I used to be terrified of that yeah. that possibility. I'm still terrified of that possibility. Um, I've I've reached a point in my life where I know how I would react to it now, um, in in the in the most positive sense. But it, there's still a lot of difficult things that go into that decision, even um, this late in life, right? Like. Yeah, you are an old man. I'm, I'm a little, a little older. You're, you're no spring chicken. <laughs> no, um, but I think as I think as we get further into this here in a, here in a few weeks, um, we'll, we'll we'll we might be able to come up with some solutions for some of that anxiety and stuff like that. Um, and don't get me wrong. I'm again. I'm not saying that the mission field's all hardship. There are those times where you get to report the victories. But I, I think sometimes we, we don't realize as the regular church members um, that those victories sometimes come on the heels of years of tears, prayers, uh, pleading discouragement with God, like what's, Rejection, what's going yeah. on. Yeah. Um, I would even venture to say Again, not from my own personal experience as being a missionary, but just from hearing of other missionaries that have gone through it and the stigma that's attached to it, I would even say periods of serious depression that they go through sometimes because with all these things that are going on and you know that you're where the Lord wants you, but you're not seeing any fruits from it. As Even, even as men, we tend to start looking inward like well what am i doing to that god isn't using me the way that i think that he should use me and why is god not giving me any fruit for my labor when they hit that wall if they hit that wall again they're alone sure they can pick up the phone and call somebody and in today's world you can facetime somebody and you know talk to another pastor friend but we're human beings we need that physical intimate i'm looking across the table at you kyle and talking to you kind of thing to where when when if we were talking about something like that when we're done we could get up we could give each other a hug and we could pray together and we could walk out of the room completely different than a facetime i mean and you know Praise the Lord that, you know, technology has advanced in a way where we can do that and we can kind of fill that, you know, that gap a little yeah. bit. But I mean, think about 20, 30 years ago, they were writing letters. They were sending emails yeah. and that's and that was even like cutting edge of technology 30 right. years ago. Um, still nothing beats face to face sitting down across from somebody um, like that. And I think you're absolutely right. Um I think that as churches, we tend, and I, I think I said it before, um, especially about, you know, in the MK18 mm-hmm. uh, episode about, you know, they come, they ask for our support, they give a presentation. Um, we either go with it or not, and we, we're given updates 
every once in a while, but I think this definitely falls under that category of things that most church members just don't think about weekly, monthly, yearly, that, hey, they, and, and more, more times than not, there's not a really a ton of physical in, I'm say in market, but in country support for a lot of yeah. our missionaries. And yeah. it is lonely. Well, it, it's interesting too, to think about like, again, this is kind of, and th- this is part of what I've got in front of me, but it's, it's also a little bit not preemptive, but it, it'll lead to a greater conversation at some point. They, they don't have a fellow worker there. But they have their family. They have the support of their family. They've got people that they can get a hold of, but they don't have a fellow worker there. And we're sitting here talking about how um, that that intimate kind of personal uh, contact that they don't have on the mission field from a support perspective as a, as a fellow laborer. Because, um, I mean, their wife wasn't called to the mission field. Um their wife was called to follow them and called it to service, right? Um, but um, women don't really get called to the mission field. It's kind of like women don't get called to preach, right? Um, a different different need, the, uh, different job. W- women are definitely called. I don't want to take that away from any women. Women are definitely called to serve in specific aspects. But, um, again, m- missionaries are called, men are called, and men are called as pastors. But... And their kids weren't called to the mission field. Their kids submit because they don't really have a choice, and uh, they're going to enjoy. I I guarantee you they'll enjoy certain aspects of growing up on a mission field. I enjoyed a lot of different aspects of growing up on the mission field. It was was pretty freaking fantastic. Um, But so their families submit to God in these aspects, but they don't share the calling to the ministry. But a fellow laborer, maybe a, a, a family that goes with them, yeah. then they've got somebody that they can talk to, somebody who shares in the burden with them, right. somebody who lets them know that they're not alone and is there with them, working alongside them. And not only that, now you can kind of split the work up, right? Well, you, you go ahead and go do what we've agreed is going to be the best way to reach out in this community, and today I'm going to spend some time with my family. And every week they can have a day like that where each one of them are able to spend time with their family, but the work doesn't suffer for it. Right, right. Nobody really has that right now. But a a fellow laborer would also share in the tears, share in the joys, share in the hardships, uh, share in the setbacks, because there are many setbacks on the mission field. I mean, we just think of... Here recently in England, right? We everybody and all the missionaries in England thought they were going to have to leave the country because uh, some stuff changed on their sponsorship visas. And fortunately, a church over there that's already established was able to pick up that sponsorship, which is fantastic that the Lord worked that out. But yeah, w- what would that have been like? What would that have looked like? Um, England's a little bit smaller country, so it, it might be easier for them to get together and see each other. But they were pretty much struggling on their own as they're segmented out into all these different places. Um, Something to think about too, Tom, even if you have a very small country, the objective is, well, the objective sometimes can necessitate that you, you, you kind of separate from somebody else, right. another church that has a like-minded, mm-hmm. like faith views, because you're, you're going out to reach an un, unreached, you know, part yeah. of the country. So, I mean, I would say in, in some cases it's necessary to be away from a fellow Bible-believing, you know, Christian church. Right. And, you know, it's, I think it's part of it. It's, un, it's unfortunate to think about sometimes and, and what the, the effects of that can be. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why, you know, I love hearing when missionaries, you know, it, it's been it's a successful work and they're, They've planted a church, and they have a few, you know, local men that they've they've raised up, and they're starting to preach, and and they're, you know, and like I love hearing that because yeah. that is where, like you said, you're able to take some time off. You know, that's when the fruits of your labor really you get to see that, and you're like, hey, like it's working. People of our community are, are being raised up as, as pastors. They're going out and starting other churches. That is the whole point. Um, and it's just unfortunate that some of these some of these uh, missionaries 
that that never get to that point. Yeah. And it's yeah, no, I definitely after we've really started kind of diving into this whole missions series, it's really I mean illuminated a lot of what I just never really you know, some of the dark corners I would say mm-hmm. of just missionary work that you never really think about or you don't want to think about. Yeah. Well, and speaking of the dark corners, nobody really ever likes talking about money, but from a missionary perspective, so they go around to churches and, you know, the, we feel like they're always asking for money and y'all, they, they, they're asking for your prayers more than your monetary contributions, but your monetary contributions are necessary for them to do the work that they do. Just like your job contributes monetarily to your life. Well, I'll say this, like it's, you can't be naive and, and say ministry doesn't cost money. Right. I would love to sit here, Tom and Crawford and say money's not a problem that the, the work of Jesus Christ you know, travel, housing, supplies, whatever mm-hmm. you need. In today's world, it, it costs money. Right. No way around it, right? And Well, even in Jesus' time, right, like somebody held the purse. Right. So, I mean, right. they had to deal with funds and yeah, money. Well, yeah, and, Matthew, right? Yeah. Matthew was kind of the, you know, kind of bankrolled everything, right? Yeah. And I, I think, you know, God used that to further the ministry, and they had, they did things. You can read about it. They did things to produce money and raise funds, yeah. but... And they had to pay taxes. They went and got the coin yep. out of the fish, right? Yep, like yep. they 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 had all kinds of monetary needs. Yeah, I think it's just it's so naive to, you know, when you think about missionaries or just churches in general. Mm-hmm. And you know, I think there's kind of a a false premise that all preacher wants is the money. All all missionaries want are, are money, and it's like, no, no, but it is necessary to get to where we need to be. Yeah, and. It's very unfortunate that, and again, double-edged sword, right? There's been people who have missed, misused that and For have sure. abused that. For sure. But if you do it the right way, you're absolutely right. Prayers, your thoughts and prayers, your support, not your money. We're, we're talking about prayers. We're mm-hmm. talking about talking, phone calls, staying up to, up to date with what's going on in their their world. That's what they really need. The money... God will figure out the money. Yeah. Well, you might through your support, right, and your prayers, you might be moved to like gift them through the church, right? To right. where you you're kind of, hey, you know what? We we support this missionary, but maybe we should do something for him this Christmas and just send him something a little extra. Um, I'll tell you right now, those were the coolest things I bet. that happened to us when we were in Germany. When we'd get like a little care package with like real American peanut butter in it and maple syrup, that was so cool. Or that fake German peanut butter? <laughs> oh, no, man. German peanut butter is like grainy and oily. Like they don't even... I love a lot of things about Germany. The peanut butter was not it. <laughs> um, yeah, but cool stuff like that. Like, And from a monetary perspective too, I think... Sometimes, and we've done it here before, like where a, a missionary, somebody will ask a missionary, like, how much do you need a month, right? And they'll throw out a number. Or, yeah, or they, or won't, they won't throw they won't out disclose a number, the number because they don't want to give you sticker shock. Right. And I'll tell you right now, the reason why they play that number close to the vest is because people in America don't want to hear that one single family needs $7,500 a month yeah, to live in a right, foreign country. Right. Yeah, I mean, I think people, again, just aren't privy to the cost of mm-hmm. ministry. And folks, if it was if it was different, we I, I, w- I would be telling you it was different, right? But ministry, the furtherance of the gospel, especially for missionary work, it costs money. And I know I we saw that with our last our missionary that was here. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was Ryan. I think it was my dad or somebody asked them, "Hey, just what is your end goal, right? What's what's the figure you're trying to get to to be able to?" You know, uh, they're going to UK, yeah, and he wouldn't give it out, yeah. And I, I would bet anything that it's because it's pretty high. It's it's London. I think they're going to London, yeah. So it's like, it, yeah, it has to be high. Not as very. It's very expensive over there. And I, I love that you said the cost of ministry because I th- I think that's what a lot of regular church members like don't latch on to. So we're not. L- l- let's say that guy's number was eighty five hundred dollars. That's probably a little high, but let's just say it's $8,500 because it sounds really high. Yeah. That $8,500 isn't paying for his flat. 
It's not paying for his food every week. That's Those aren't the only things that it's paying for. It's not paying for the car payment that he may have to get. Like, we make car payments here in the States. They might have to make car payments there in England as well. You have to have a way to get around. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. That, that $8,500, is. he also has to buy ministry supplies. Like, okay, so if he needs Bibles and songbooks to put in the church building, like he's got to buy all of that from that $8,500. The rent for a church building or the lease for a church building all has to come out of that $8,500. Utilities. Utilities Mm -hmm. for that area. Like everything. It's not just what we would consider our expenses, right? It's basically when we don't take that into account that that's what the missionary is paying for, it would be like us paying our pastor Let's just say a a $60,000 salary, right? It would be like paying us churches, paying our pastor a $60,000 salary, but then asking him to also pay the mortgage on the church and all the utilities for the church out of those same funds. Yeah, it's insane. We've got to realize that. like, The the missionary isn't asking for $8,500 so he can go live in the lap of luxury in the UK. He's asking for $8,500 because that's going to be what his family lives off of, but that's also going to be what he supports the entire ministry off of as right. well. And it's probably, if we're being if we're being real honest, probably not even enough. Yeah, it's, he's probably being very, very conservative right. about it. Right. Yeah, I know. I would agree. That's one of the dark corners, right, of mm-hmm. that ministry. I don't. I don't think. Again, I don't think people. You know, when they're presenting, when we accept them, when we hear from them weekly, or it's really not even that. And a lot of church members don't really keep tabs on their missionaries. You might hear about them every once a month, once every couple months. Yeah. I guarantee you church members nowadays aren't thinking about the I mean, physical, but definitely the monetary means needs of missionaries in that, in that way. And it's exchange rate stuff too, right? I, I think a lot of times we that. forget yeah. that, like yeah. the, the exchange rate. So when we first went to Germany, a, a dollar would get you two and a half German Deutschmark. So we were like Dublin plus our money, yeah. right? That, well, that sounds fantastic. Yeah, but a, a gallon of gas Everything over there cost, cost $9. Yeah. Everything cost costs it, double. Yeah. Cost $9 back in the late 80s. I don't even know what it costs now, but it's I, I'll guarantee you it's more than the $9 that it costs in the late 80s because they go by liters, which is about equivalent to a quart. So we had to buy four liters to be the equivalent, close to the equivalent of a gallon. A liter of gas over there cost in Deutschmark what we pay for a gallon of gas here. So it's like one to four ratio. Yeah. And and we don't take that kind of stuff into account. Uh, And right now, um, the the great you get less than one Great British pound for a dollar. So when you go over there, like okay, so let's say the the guy going to UK, his number was eighty five hundred dollars. Well, let's say he's getting 75 cents on a dollar or 75 pence on a dollar, right? So he's his $8,500 well, immediately, yeah. immediately becomes substantially less, right? He's right. losing 25% of the, of those funds. So let's say it's seven, let's say it takes him down to seven grand. So now he only has 7,000 pounds because he just lost it just in the exchange rate alone. Yeah. I mean, I think there'll definitely be, you know, in this vein, in this series of missions, I definitely want one of them to be just around debutation alone Mm -hmm. because I have some massive issues with it. But I think, you know, I think the whole point of this this entire thing, right, is to shed light on those dark corners and get people more aware of what these missionaries are really going through. Whether, Whether you want to know it or not, giving your financial support every week simply isn't enough and you may not want to hear it and I'm sorry, but it, that's just, that's, it's not, it's just not. And you know, I think a lot of church members just, just don't know. They, yeah. they just don't know what they don't know. So as we, as we talk about not knowing what they, what they don't know, um, we'll move kind of from the missionary himself, I think. To, To to, to the missionary wife, 
before we wrap this one. And I've never been a missionary wife. I only know the things that I know from talking to missionary wives and understanding the kind of stuff that they go through. You're not a missionary wife? No, I'm not, I'm not a missionary wife. Um, and I would never dream to say that I know everything that they go through. But I, I'll, I'll say, I'll say a, a couple of things, and we can just kind of go from there. But So my mom, when she got... So when we would get a special package from the States, right, it it was always special and it was really nice. But there were a handful of times that a women's group at a church would specifically just send my mom things. That's awesome. I feel like every single time it happened, it brought her to tears. Yeah. I'll, I'll tell you why. Because I think missionary wives are probably the most neglected segment of the missionary family from a from a church and from a acknowledgement perspective the the sacrifices that they make i don't think we can ever really know and capture uh, what they go through as far as men being alone on the mission field men in general and i'm not saying all men but men in general can be alone for longer periods of time without the support of other men around right and ladies, you can blow us up an email if you disagree with what I'm about to say, but uh, every woman I've ever talked to, a missionary wife that I've ever talked to has said it. Women have a need for actual, like, physic- like re- actual relationships with other women, like where they can talk to them and spend time with them. And just more, more interaction. Yeah, more interaction. Where guys can go for a while without that, like... Women need that in their lives, somebody to fellowship with, somebody that they can share like the hardships and the joys with. And don't get me wrong, all these women love their husbands, but their husband can only provide that so much. I, I tried for a long time in, in, in my marriage personally to be like, oh, I'll be your best friend. And like, that's not enough. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll women, say this, Women right? need a best friend. Right. And, you know, they need like another woman. Yes. And usually that's what it is, yeah. but... No, I, I can completely understand, right? I mean, even here, right? Like, you know, I'm off to work. My wife, fortunately, is able to stay home with the kids. Yeah. But, you know, I get home from work and she's like, she's had it with the kids, right? She needs a little bit of time away from the kids. Right. And she's here in the States. You know, I, I can only imagine how it is when you're alone. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll say Germany as an example because that's where you were. You know, you have your, your husband's going out preaching on the, the corner, handing out tracks all day long, doing what God called him to do. Right. She's not able to, you know, she might get some relief when he gets home and, and whatever, but she doesn't have that, that, that friend yeah. that I, I think a lot of women have and, and, and it works well for him. And I, I can, I can only imagine how that must well, be. And she, she can't go drop the kids off at her parents' house or anything like that for a break either. Right. right. Like they, they're the only people they know there. Right. Um, so it, it's it's her there all the time. And I, I don't want to say that like, oh, poor, poor missionaries' wives. I mean, she understands. She she does it. Um, she makes the sacrifices. Uh, and It's not so much true for, that I see anymore, but a lot of times from a, from a missionary wife perspective, they'll sacrifice even from, um, you know, their husband needs, needs a suit. Right. He has to wear a suit. He's a missionary. He's when they go deputation specifically. Right. They need a couple of suits. Right. So that when they are in the pulpit, they they look like a presentable preacher. The kids constantly growing, constantly needing clothes all the time. They're in suits, too. Yeah. Yeah. and, And but then meanwhile, she's wearing the same set of clothes that she had when they started deputation four years ago because she doesn't really need anything new and don't get me wrong i've seen it move away from that a little bit but for the longest time like that's how it was and i still see that somewhat today um just it's one of those things where you're just they go through these things and they go through it mostly alone and i I look it's a big thing for women to be able to make a house a home right i was going to bring that up yeah well, I mean, like, that's a lot of women, they, they look forward to that, right? They like the idea of creating a family and mm-hmm. building a home, decorating the home, yeah. making it their own. Um, 
again, in the vein of sacrifice, right? They very well probably did that here in the States, and now they have to uproot that, yep. go to some place that they are not familiar with, cultural differences, language barriers, and try to do that again. It's it, and I would assume a lot of times it's just not the same. And, I mean, I the, the, the real word, the real synopsis word is sacrifice. And I don't yeah. think we give them enough credit for everything they do for missions work. And and they're they're subject to that kind of nomadic lifestyle that some missionaries fall into, where okay they hit this area and it didn't really the Lord wasn't really blessing them there, so they shake the dust off their feet. They come back to the states, and when they go back, they move to a different area. They don't even move back into the same house again. So potentially, a missionary sure. wife will have to reimagine her home four or five times if they're on the mission field that long. It's every single time you've got to make the house a home now. You've got to make the house a home now. Um, just, man, I, I mean, don't get me wrong. I've, I've moved around a lot in my life too, but every, every single time, like, that, that has to happen. And on top of that, women, my wife Crystal hates me because I lay down at night and I, I cross my hands and I fall asleep. But I'm the same way. Women will lay there at night and I know this because a lot of women have told me this. They'll lay there at night and they'll go through this checklist in their head. And they'll, did I do everything that I needed to do today? And what do I need to start doing for tomorrow? And what's the list going to be for tomorrow? Well, now let's add to that all the responsibilities of supporting her husband and listening to his frustrations when something's not going right or celebrating with him when something is going wrong. There's a different level of support there that missionary wives have to go through that as just regular church member, husband-wife dynamic, we wouldn't see here in the States. And I, I agree, Kyle, it's, it's sacrifice. I, I think that is the operative word, is just sacrifice. And then with the MK-18 thing, right? At some point, they've got to bring their kid back to the state, drop them off, and go back. Yeah, I didn't even think about that aspect of it. <laughs> they, they just leave the kids there. Yeah. And if they're lucky, they come home every four or five years, and they get to see their kids who've grown from the last time they've seen them, and then potentially grandkids that they only see once every four to five years. What, what grandparent or mother here in the United States would be willing to do those kind of things on a regular basis? Um and even if we are here in the States, like my, my family lives up in Illinois, I'm, they can still drive down and see us or we can drive up and see them. It's a little more prohibitive when you've got to fly across an ocean or across borders. Right. Well, and if you aren't in a period or a season of furlough or something, you're, you're taking away from the work. Right. Right. It's like your family up in Illinois, like a long weekend or if they have some vacation or whatever they can use, mm -hmm. but you don't, you don't. You're not really afforded that, you know, unless right. every three to four years, whatever it may You've be. You've got to go report back to the churches right. while you're in the States. Right, It's not not the same at all, and it's, um, I can't even imagine. I mean, just the whole thing, right, from when you're, you know, when you're young, you're uprooting your whole family, young kids, bringing them over, all the stuff that goes along with that, mm -hmm. right? Because not only are you raising kids and making sure they're safe and supporting your husband, like, you know, a biblical, scriptural wife should, but you're also, like you said, helping him with going out and ministering his frustrations, maybe even some of the administration work that falls on yeah. you. It's just, I mean, if not double, triple, quadruple the, the amount of tasks and work that it is required of you. I, I look at it with a, with a new sense of appreciation. And I, I, mean, I, I couldn't do it. Ab oh, no. Absolutely no way. I, I, I'm not hardwired to even think that way and i think that you know I, i'd like to take this time to acknowledge the strong women that have done it faithfully amen for years and decades um your hard work has not gone unnoticed you're sending church other churches that know about it revere at this yeah. and your husband's sure do appreciate it um and we just want to say thank you yeah um Thank you to both the missionary wives and the missionaries who are willing to make those sacrifices. Uh, a lot of us, even though we could do it, don't have the willingness for it. And I, I can't say enough what a blessing it is to know the ones that I know and just uh, 
love y'all. Um, just really appreciate what you do and how you serve the Lord and all the. Uh, it's not that I we wanted to talk completely about all negative things, but we do want to bring to light some of the things that I know that a lot of missionaries I know just wouldn't talk about. And that's fine. Yeah, y- sure. y- y'all don't need to talk about it. Let us talk about it for you and let us generate some additional love and prayer for you as much as we can. Yeah, you know, we, we definitely don't mean to be primarily negative, but I will say this. I think that as Baptists, um, as Christians, when we see a problem, when we see a lack of, whether it's communication or a way of that we, which in which we should be approaching something, I think that is our necessity to vocalize that and to, and to at least bring it up for thought, right? Yeah, and say, hey, have exactly. you considered this? And hopefully that's, you know, all that we're doing, right? I mean, I, hey, we get it. Either that's side cool. of either side of it, there's grace on either side. Um, but from my perspective, and I think Tom would agree, um, today's churches can, can be doing a lot more. Yeah, I agree. Absolutely. Well... There's so much more to talk about, but we're we're we'll, we'll we're, tackle we're it. running out of yeah, time. We'll we, we, we've month. got we've got a bunch more episodes to come. Um, thank y'all for tuning in. It, it's been our pleasure. Listen, if you've got a story that you'd like to tell, uh, feel free to reach out to us. Uh, drop us a line at podcast at lakeworthbaptist.org. Uh, you can hit us up on Facebook or Instagram. Uh, we, we'd love to hear from everybody. Maybe. Uh, as a missionary or a missionary's wife, you heard the episode and you're like, you know what? I relate to that. Or I, I haven't had those experiences at all. Let me say, tell you how I've felt supported by my yeah, church. We, we would love to that hear would, from that you. That would be great. Um, but yeah, just let us know. We'd love to hear from you. Absolutely. And you know, just, uh, kind of as a teaser for next week, uh, we're going to have our, our resident apologist, if we will, nice. um, yeah. Ryan Reeves, my father, he'll be on next week. We're going to kind of start another series, if you will, there on apologetics, um, you'll you'll want to tune in for that one. It's going to be um, a really good episode. So we'll see you next week for that. Uh, thank you, everybody, for taking a plunge in this week's Thinking Well. And we'll see you next week.